Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, October 13th. We begin with our continuing series, Shining the Spotlight on the Upcoming Municipal Election, specifically the race for mayor. This time out, our Dave McIver features another one of the top candidates, according to recent polling, Jeff Davison. Next, details on the newly announced QR code proof of vaccination program being rolled out by the provincial government. We speak with Global Calgary reporter Sarah Offen, who explains how it will work for both businesses and individual citizens. Then it's our monthly conversation with Dr. Axel Morenschlager, Director of Conservation and Science from the Calgary Zoo. This time out, Dr. Axel tells us the success story of the radioactive horse. And finally, October is Canadian Library Month. We hear details about an innovative new little library that just opened up in the southeast community of Legacy. The municipal election is October 18th, and with many Calgarians still undecided, our Dave McIver is chatting with the top five mayoral candidates according to the polls as we move closer to election day. Today, we're featuring Dave's conversation with Jeff Davison. Prior to being elected to City Council as the Ward 6 Councillor in 2017, Jeff Davison had experience in the energy and tech sectors. During his time on Council, he served on the boards of the Calgary Municipal Land Corporation, Calgary Economic Development and the Opportunity Calgary Investment Fund, while also chairing the City's Transportation and Transit Committee and as Director at the Calgary Film Centre. Davison's plan to grow and stabilize Calgary's economy is based on four elements, attracting talent, a diversified economy, continuous learning and collaboration. Jeff, you're obviously a big part, big player in the uh, in the event center, but there is a lot more of downtown that's vacant. So, what are your plans to uh, revitalize the downtown? So, what are we going to do to revitalize the downtown? Yeah. Well, the events the event center fits into the overall downtown plan. It's not just a, a hockey story. It's really about how do we enable the entertainment and cultural district to take shape, which is really about three billion dollars worth of private sector investment. And so, you know, to, you have to think about the downtown in a larger context, right? It's it's all going to come down to do we have the right business environment? So making. Uh, taxes more affordable to to keep businesses downtown and grow businesses down there. It's going to be about that place component. And, you know, the event center is a key piece. BMO is a key piece. Green Line is a key piece. Um, the, the Arts Commons transformation, all the way to this private sector train from the airport to downtown to BAM. All of these things come into why people want to spend their time downtown. Then you got to think about how do you get more people living downtown, right? So my notice of motion back in December, which really kickstarted the downtown strategy, is all about creating livability in the core, right? And so you have to create a live, work, play environment. But you also have to think about, in terms of working, innovation is key, right? We're not just an energy city anymore. Yes, we do energy. We will continue to advance energy 2.0. But thinking about our role in agriculture, thinking about fintech, thinking about logistics and goods movement, thinking about pharmaceuticals and aerospace, all of these things are big opportunities. The key piece to all of them is talent, right? And we're seeing so many young people leave our city right now it's really hard to grow opportunities and advance businesses here when that's all they want to talk about. They never want to talk about taxes coming here. They always want to talk about, I have 500 employees today. I want to be 2,500 in two months. How can, show me how you scale me up because if you can't give me people, I don't care to talk about your jurisdiction. So all, all of those have to fit together in the downtown plan. A big part for me is um, getting there. Uh, I live in Mackenzie Town. We have a great little uh, park and ride over here. Um, but the closest train station, you know, you, if you hop on a bus and you can't drive your car to it, is probably a good 20, 25, 30-minute bus ride to the train station. Um, you know, 15 if you can get a direct route. But um, 
I think it would be a lot easier for me to enjoy the downtown if it didn't take me so long to get down there. So what are your plans to get transit to all four corners of the city? Well, I mean, I've spent the last three years as the city's transportation and transit uh, chair. And so, you know, thinking about how do we advance the route ahead project has been a key priority of mine. So not just thinking about, can we get the blue line to the airport? Yes, that's important. How do we advance green line? You know, we got to remember, Remember that access to transit is actually access to opportunity. And so creating that critical infrastructure network of transit is really important. If our economic strategy, for instance, is, is going to be validated, this will be a city of 2 million people. We've got to think about how we move people around our city more efficiently because they're going to rely on good public transportation to get around. So to your point, I want more people accessing the core, whether that's to, to come and see a concert, whether that's to you know go to a restaurant, whether that's just to spend a night out doing whatever. Uh, access to that area is going to be key if you want people to come in there. And it's got to be ease of access, right? Last one for me then, Jeff. Um, talked with a few groups, minority groups, over, uh, I don't know, the past couple of months or so. Um, hmm. And big message was we need to uh, do more in terms of uh, combating racism uh, yeah. in the city. So uh, what is your plan to, to combat racism and, and work with those groups? Well, First of all, I always say I acknowledge the fact that I am the white middle-aged candidate running in this election, right? But it's really important to be everybody's mayor. And so racism is not welcome in our city, period, full stop. There is no negotiating that, right? Um, but we've got to learn to stop having conversations like we're preaching to the choir, right? I don't need to go to the Muslim community and talk about Islamophobia. They understand it. I need to go to the dinner table and have that conversation at home. I need to go to the boardrooms that, you know, of all the big companies in our city and have that conversation, right? Again, if we're going to be economically successful, if we're going to grow job opportunities, if we're going to grow um, as a city, all of these people aren't going to come from Edmonton, right? They're coming from around the globe. And so continuing to push to be a more inclusive and safe city, a diverse city is incredibly important. I'm Dave McIver with Global News Radio 770 CHQR. Great candidates. Yep. Right now, third in terms of polling, as we've seen, the, the mayoral race at this point looks like it is a tie between Jyoti Gondak and Jeremy Farkas. Uh, and then Jeff, Jeff Davison is, well, they say in this uh, polling result that we saw this morning, a, a distant third with about 14% of the vote. Uh, you know, and who knows? We, we have many days left. Yep. Uh, five, I mean, it, it seems like a few, but the, the chance to get out and make your vote count. And our Dave McIver will continue his series Thursday and Friday. Highlighting the top candidates, uh, top five, mm -hmm. according to polls. There's 27. 27. So yeah, we're going with the we're going with the polling numbers, and and, and again, that horse race right now between uh, Jyoti Gondak and uh, Jeremy Farkas, tight, but things could change. Both sitting around the 34, 35 percent mark. Again, Davison with 14 percent. Um, more than 4,600 Calgarians polled in this one, and of course, the municipal election coming up Monday, October the 18th. The advanced voting numbers huge. Mm -hmm. You added up, I think it's 140,000 had been cast. You voted early. I voted early. Um, it's more than. If you add uh, 20, what is it, uh, the past two elections, 2019, 2017, I think it is, um, uh, more than those combined. And in fact, it looks like it will be record-breaking. Mm -hmm. But I submit to you, I think that you can't compare the two because this is the COVID year. It, well, exactly. People want to go and it's spaced out. And when I went, you could just walk in and walk out mm -hmm. because it was, you know. Well, we think, were given, what, a week? So Yeah, I, I went on day six, lots of space. And, uh, you know, you maybe don't want the hassle either. 
And now a political expert suggesting the pandemic, obviously the reason for this, and I suspect it's true. Will we see as many people showing up uh, at the polls on the 18th to push those numbers higher? Let's hope so. It would be yeah. great if everybody got out and voted. Everybody educated themselves on who the candidates are and the questions that are being asked when it comes to daylight saving time mm-hmm. and fluoride. And then you get out and cast your vote because... You know, we love to complain. We love to bitch and complain about everything. But, you know, if you don't vote and don't have your voice heard, you know, then why why are you complaining? It's a cliche for a reason. You can't complain if you didn't cast your ballot. You don't have, uh, you know, any skin in the game. But, uh, you know, we're going to have it fully covered on Monday. Because, and that's, that's, that's when I love... To sit down with it, we talk about. We should talk on Monday about the food you're going to enjoy while you're watching these things. From eight, <laughs> it's always p- about the food. It's like this is yeah. a Super Bowl, but you're different. Fo- following it right here on seven seventy CHQR Decision Calgary. It's mm-hmm. called running from eight p.m. to eleven p.m. commercial free. You can listen at home, and if you're running around with the kids. Uh, perfect to have it on in the car while you're waiting outside at practice, and it will be, of course, on Global Calgary as well. And our Ted Henley. Uh, by the way, if you're wondering what he looks like, he's on Global News right now, Global Calgary. Oh, there he um, is. Hi, Ted. Yeah, he's he's a, up early. He's, he's an a, afternoon drive guy. What's he doing up at 7 a.m.? He's, he's doing kind of a roundtable at Global this morning. Uh, but you can see the whole thing mm-hmm. unfold and hear it unfold on Monday night right here, commercial free. 8 to 11 p.m. Yesterday, the province rolled out their QR code for our proof of vaccination of a COVID vaccine here in the province of Alberta. And Global News' reporter Sarah Offen is down on 17th Avenue this morning. She's looking at how businesses will handle the new proof of vaccination system, but also how we can sign up and get our QR code. So good morning to you, Sarah. How are you this morning? Good morning. How are you? Excellent. Thank you for joining us. So does it seem local businesses are ready to start reading these QR codes now? Well, you know, it's still early here along 17th Avenue. So just a, just a couple of coffee shops that are opening up here. So far, the ones that I've checked in at not uh, accepting that QR code uh, just yet. Uh, I think that it's still a new program. People are still learning about it, and it might take a little time to let people know that uh, that this is something that's actually readily available for them. They're going to want to scan those codes, but uh, they need codes to scan. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> let's talk about where we get them as Albertans, and in what form. Of, can I keep a digital copy, or do I have to print it? Yeah, so you can do either. You can keep a screenshot basically on your phone or you can print it off, whatever's the most convenient for you. And you can get them at covidrecords.alberta.ca. In fact, Albertans were actually able to get those unique QR codes at the beginning of the month. But the problem is we didn't have an app uh, to actually scan them, a secure app that is, to scan those QR codes until now. So uh, again, we saw this sort of quietly popping up on Google Play and the Apple app uh, store yesterday. So now it is in place. This is available to businesses. And the idea is that this is going to make it easier for those businesses to just scan the code. The patrons can do it quickly and uh, and hopefully it won't take too many resources for them. And as of next month, it will be the only acceptable you know, proof of your vaccination. So we need to get on board. Now, we've heard from a lot of people already this morning, they've downloaded it, but they could only do a screenshot. They couldn't save it, for example, in an Apple wallet. And we're also hearing from people who say seniors, they don't have an iPhone or an Android phone, perhaps. What do they do? I don't know if you can answer that at this point, if the province has kind of shared that information. Yeah, they haven't 
spoken to it specifically. I mean, what I would recommend if I was talking to grandma, rest her soul, is I would say, you know, to just to, to get somebody to help you go online if you're, if you're not able to do that yourself, but to go online to look it up and then you can basically just print it off and keep it in your wallet. I think that's going to be something that's sort of the easiest thing to do anyway, because as you mentioned, it's, um, you can either screenshot it and then it's in your photos, mm-hmm. which is like challenging to pull up. So I think that's going to be mm-hmm. my strategy anyway, uh, to print it off and then to have it sort of on hand in my purse, ready to go uh, when I need my cup of coffee in the morning. Our condolences to your grandma. But also, thank you. She lived a good life. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for your time this morning and uh, many more questions that we'll have answered, I'm sure, over, over the next uh, few right. weeks here. Thank you. All right, thank you. It's Global Calgary reporter Sarah Offen. Well, he's been on hiatus. We've missed him terribly, but he's back with us this morning. Joining us now, Dr. Axel Morenschlager, the Calgary Zoo's Director of Conservation and Science. And first of all, good morning to you, Dr. Axel. We've missed you. Uh, welcome back. How are you? Yeah, good morning. No, I've missed you guys too. Well, glad you're back. And you're talking, this is really interesting. We're all, you know, sitting on the edge of our seats waiting because you want to talk about, you know, not only the great conservation work that the zoo is involved with around the world, but particularly radioactive horses. What's this all about? <laughs> it's about the, the most wild horses you can imagine. It's the Asian wild horse, which is basically an ancient ancestor to the horses that we have now. They're small, stocky, have a large neck and head and 300 kilograms of toughness. They're, they're home to Asia where they live in places like Mongolia in habitats sort of like ours, you know, where it gets very hot in the summer, cold in the winter. And they're so wild that even Genghis Khan, who invaded most of uh, Asia on horseback, right, couldn't tame them and others couldn't ever tame them either. Uh, they're very precious to the to the local people, actually, the local name is Taki, which means spirit or worthy of worship. Now, the thing is, though, over time, populations declined um, because of overhunting, mainly, if you can believe it. And by 1969, this species was actually extinct in the wild. So some had been taken into zoos, uh, but very few bred at first. And then there were so few left that at least they, uh, at first they had inbreeding problems, but they were fixed. And by the end of the 1950s, only 13 individual horses remained in zoos in the world. Um, but these have been used for reintroductions. Now, this is where we get to, to the crazy one, right? Mm-hmm. You picked up on the, the radioactive yeah. bit. Yeah, so one of the craziest programs deals with 30 horses that were released in 1998 in the condemned area around Chernobyl, where there was, of course, a, a nuclear reactor meltdown, right, in 1986. Ah. And and this area is so radioactive that predictions were it would be uninhabitable for humans for about 20,000 years. Okay. And so in this area now, there are 150 Asian wild horses from this reintroduction within the exclusion zone. There's actually pictures of them in the buildings, uh, you know, that, that were abandoned when, when everybody had to leave. So it's a bit of a, a statement that, you know, for the relationship between nature and wildlife, that when an endangered species does better in a nuclear zone than it does <laughs> in its proximity yeah. to people. And this, you know, this is why we need to, to get better in other parts of the world to, to enable a coexistence of Asian horses and, and people, right? And so one of the things is that just recently I was introducing a session on conservation translocation with French organizations. And there's a fellow that I met, Laurent 
Tatin, and he, he spearheads a French organization that reintroduced 22 horses into Western Mongolia, first into fenced areas that are now being opened up to the wilderness. And what's so cool about it is that he's working very much with the local people. You see, the horses can actually be aggressive with, with um, native horses or affect some of the other animals that people are herding, you know, like, um, and they're not just horses, they're camels. So people are herding camels sort of for their own agriculture, if you will. And so he's working with a women's community council in Mongolia to figure out how to bring back horses in in the same way as also bringing uh, benefits to local people. So he's working on horses, but actually he's dealing with handicrafts such as wool and felt that the local people uh, produce so that there can be benefits in reintroducing horses to help local people. And this is very much what we, as you know, do in, in different projects in Africa as well, right? Where we, we're looking for win-win solutions. We're not just looking for, for wildlife to do well. We're looking for ways that wildlife and people can benefit. Amazing. And so this, yeah, this is something that we're, we're pursuing now uh, as part of a bigger effort actually on extinct in the wild species. So these, this is another species, and you might remember some time ago that we talked about Elizabeth Ann, a black-footed ferret mm-hmm. that was cloned. Do you remember this? Yeah. And, and it was a species that was completely gone. This species, the, the Asian wild horse, is the second mammal that just recently was also cloned from a dead individual from 1998 who had their DNA now implanted to make an embryo in a domestic horse, and in 2020... Kurt was born. Wow, we're so, gonna, we're gonna have to leave it there for time, but that's amazing. And you always weave these incredible tales, and truly. it always comes back to the great work that the Calgary Zoo does. So we appreciate your time this morning, Dr. Morenslager. Well, we appreciate it. We thank you for supporting wildlife conservation and all Calgarians that make it possible for us. Good stuff. Thank you so much. We'll catch up with you again next month. That's uh, Dr. Axel Morenslager, the Calgary Zoo's Director of Conservation and Science, also known as the Nature Doctor. More online at calgaryzoo.com. We've all seen those little libraries around our communities, but the community of legacy has kicked that concept up a notch. Joining us with details is Alexandra Velosa, President of the Calgary Legacy Community Association. Good morning, Alexandra. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, talk to us about what you got, you've got going on in Legacy. Is it the typical sort of box that the communities put up and then fill with books from people? Well, it is actually a little bit different. So in the community, we already had uh, three libraries, like the ones you just described, with books uh, in front of people's yards, and people were using them quite often. So our community association got inspired and decided to, like you mentioned, take it out do a little bit of a spin into the little libraries. And we opened two libraries, one that we call the Multicultural Library, and it will have books and resources in different languages. So we are encouraging people to share um, books um, in other languages than English. And it also has um, card recipe space, so you can exchange recipes with your neighbors. Love that. And then our second library, we call it the Play Library, and it is actually for people to exchange game boards and puzzles. Wow, incredible. It's very versatile yes. compared to maybe some of the little libraries we've seen around the city. So I'm wondering, 
you know, Alexander, if you can break down for people who are, who are new to the city or maybe your community simply doesn't have one, how does the little library work in the sense that I know the conventional Calgary Public Library, you need a card. So how, how does this work? How, where do the books come from and what you need to get a book? So um, initially, the community association put some games and, and books into the two libraries. But now we see that people are actually doing what they are supposed to, which is like bringing new games and taking some of these games or bringing new books and getting some books that are already in the library. So that's the idea. Basically, you take a game, you leave a game, um, you, you know, like with games and puzzles sometimes we just get bored doing like playing always the same or doing the same puzzle after two times we already know how it goes yeah Yeah. so with this uh, library we get the opportunity to always try something new and then return it back so somebody else can enjoy it and then just get a new one so it's about yeah it's about sharing and just like you know like bringing one taking one and the same works with the books and then the recipes is just like a a great opportunity for people to get to know um, or express their culture and and showcase what they what they love to eat and just share their, those um, family recipes with their neighbors. This is such a great idea. I hope other communities catch on to what you're doing down in Southeast Legacy and uh, will will amp up their little libraries as well. I'm going to talk to the folks in my community too in Coventry. Thank you so much, Alexandra. Great idea. Love it. Thanks. Okay. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. Bye bye. Alexandra Velosa is the president of the Calgary Legacy Community Association. You can go to calgarylegacy.ca for more info. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.